here we go. Welcome everybody to number two of our uh, live open office hours with our labs team. Uh, today we have with us, uh, let me see if I can point to the right way, Kelly Shipman and uh, Matt Bach down there. These uh, pretty uh, cool dudes from our labs team. They're here to answer uh, any kind of We'll just kind of talk about kind of first off of course you know introductions what you guys do um, and then um, answer some questions kind of maybe maybe a little talk about what you guys are working on currently and then uh, we can take some questions from uh, the audience so uh, Kelly we'll start with you since you're the newest guy in labs um, okay go ahead and introduce yourself what you've been up to what do you do and uh, yeah what do you do what have you been up to all right well I'm Kelly I am the newest member of the labs team uh, well I've been here since the beginning of March, no, February. Right before everyone um, decided to leave the office. And yeah, I was here for like two weeks before everyone was like, hey, get out of the office. Cool. Um, so I specialize in 3D content creation, I guess, and game development. Um, spent several years in game dev as in QA and environment art before coming to Puget. So I'm going to be taking over 3D, like 3 Studio Max, Maya, uh, Unreal, Unity, those type of applications. Yeah, those are super exciting if you ask me. Because, man, seeing how mm -hmm. those things are being used now, like game engines aren't just for games anymore. Yeah. They're for oh, yeah, yeah. everything. I'm really excited to get to Unreal and Unity. They're just going crazy. Just yeah. the, like the virtual production stuff like you see with like the Mandalorian and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mind-blowing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I'm Matt Buck. I am almost the opposite in how long I've been here <laughs> compared to Kelly. Uh, I've been at Fugit for uh, way, way too long, 18 years or something like that, maybe 19 now. Um, and I kind of, at, at first labs was me. And then when we found out that like, oh, this kind of actually works, then we've been expanding out to more and more people. Um, so at this point now, I'm more focusing on the video side of things and photography. So uh, content creation, post-production, uh, think like the Adobe Suite, and then like applications that are similar to anything you can find in the Adobe Suite. Um, and yeah, so a lot of my time right now is just figuring out how we can test these applications in real-world ways, um, so that we can actually figure out how the latest hardware from Intel, AMD, NVIDIA um, actually works. Because a lot of the times, like if if we haven't done testing, um, you usually have no idea, and people just make stuff up. And that's why for the longest time, like we had to fight people on like, no, you don't need a dual Xeon or no, you don't need this. Uh, and you know, now it feels like we finally really have the authority to really tell people and they just start believing us versus before it was, we had to provide so many proof points to get people to believe us. Huh? That's pretty cool. Man, I, I've, I've, one of the best things about working for Puget is, is a lot of the, the data driven um, like decision making, you know, we don't we don't just carry stuff because it's brand new or because of um, you know push from other companies or whatnot. It's always there's always like a data uh, why behind mm -hmm. it all, which is I I've one of the coolest things I think is yeah, and it's, it's sometimes it's hard because like we'll do a bunch of testing and it'll be great, it'll look great on paper. Um, a great example is like the Radeon 7 video card from AMD. Like it looked great in DaVinci Resolve, like amazing, but we didn't end up carrying it. So then like those kind of cases, people are like, well, why aren't you? This article shows that it's amazing. And right. then we have to like explain that like, okay, well, yeah, but supply is terrible. 
we've had like all these blue screening issues with it yeah. um, and like we don't actually sell enough davinci resolve systems to warrant carrying a product for one like use case yeah. um, so it's, it's always kind of tough to like make those balances and then help people understand why we make those uh, kind of decisions yeah let's see well oh whoops you guys see my my audio settings trying to trying to make it a little louder for you guys i didn't realize i was going to be <laughs> showing that stuff off on the on the screen but um i am i am seeing some of the some talk about being low audio and whatnot um we're still working some of this stuff out um if i boost mine too much you guys are going to hear too much of a hiss through this mic so um Unfortunately, I'm just going to have to be a little quiet. Uh, Got to yell. Yeah. Well, I'm trying not to be too loud because, you know, the house and stuff. So, but um, otherwise, um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of any sort of questions in the chat. So uh, we may have to fall back on some of our other little topics here. Um, actually, Kelly, I know I, I personally had a question. Um, I've been following along with your blog and mm -hmm. um, trying to write a, a new benchmark on testing 3ds Max in particular. Yep. Um, so do you ha did you already have some uh, like personal, almost I suppose manual experience with 3ds Max before starting yeah. into that? Um, and then how has that been? Uh, do you have any other extra extra tidbits to add beyond what you've written? Yeah, I used 3ds Studio Max um, professionally for few years um, before joining Puget um, as an artist for video games and was also trained in that in one of my schools that I went to. Um, so yeah, I'd used Max for a long time and that's why I started with that for the first benchmark. It was because that's the application I knew the most. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have to spend a lot of time learning the program before getting on to programming the, the scripts and benchmarking and stuff like that. Nice. Um, so yeah, it was to get the tests that I want Max to run set up. That was pretty easy, pretty quick. Um, learning the programming to then do all the automation. That's been a whole different story. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, we actually have we also have a question um, from Eric. What are you most excited about with expanding labs into three D design and game development? Um so much <laughs> uh probably the thing i'm looking forward to the most is getting into unreal and unity mm -hmm. um like we we're touched on earlier they just they've opened up so much beyond um just game development uh, it's actually gonna be kind of difficult to test it's probably going to require like all of us to work together to do various different types of benchmarks that target the different industries but you still use that one program um like i just feel like there's a lot of a lot of potential there to do some cool stuff right because yeah. like you have obviously games you have yeah. uh the film industry that used to use game engines for like previs so like before they even shoot a shot mm -hmm. they kind of do really like low quality placeholders so they can kind of frame things and figure out how things are going to work uh, but now they're like they're using it for like final production like yeah, the thing you see in theaters was done in Unreal or Unity, um, and yeah. that's like the the high end film side. But then there's also like the, you know, people who are small studios can use it because it man, it's so much faster to use a game engine that looks 
really, really good than to do like a full on render using Octane or whatever. Like, yeah. Versus having a single frame take minutes to render, it can do it in real time. And like, yeah, it's different. It's you have to fake a lot of the lighting and, and things like that. Right. Although, probably less now that we have like RTX, like ray yeah. tracing stuff, right? Yeah. And like, like a lower budget kids weekly TV show. Mm-hmm. Like they need to pump out episodes like, like crazy. They can do all that in in a game engine, and be able to basically render it in real time. You're, you're saying that like, Daniel Tiger is going to be done in Unreal? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, I'll take your word that that's a kids show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't I don't have kids. So I don't know what the shows are called, but yeah. So that's going to be really cool to see how how this kind of stuff goes on. And it it seems to me like I. Years ago, I did a little bit of testing with Unity and Unreal when we first started to want to get into that. And we realized, like, okay, we need to bring in someone who actually knows, you know, this kind mm-hmm. of industry. So that's why we brought in Kelly. Um, but it was really interesting even then how much they were working on making it accessible. Like, yeah. Unity Unreal used to be really difficult to get into. And maybe, maybe it was just me because I wasn't already in that industry. But, man, it sure just seemed to take a lot of tutorials for me to go through to get something that was, like, even super basic, yeah. uh, but it seems like they've been doing a lot of work to make it more accessible. Definitely, yeah. So, um, actually, yeah. And to, to tag off that, just a touch. Um, one of the coolest things I've been seeing lately is this guy. Um, I mentioned this on Wednesday, but there's a there's a guy named Matt Workman, um, mm-hmm. and he does a. He's been working on like a full on virtual like set I guess would be the best way like you could have a live actor kind of sitting in the middle of like a green room of a sort and then you can actually track the camera through this like uh, unreal environment um, using like a Vive controller and he like attaches the controller the Vive controller to the top of the camera and then and it tracks the light the lighting will change from within the the virtual mm-hmm. environment and stuff and yeah. it's it's a it's a trip it's blowing my mind the guy just he's he's been doing some pretty crazy That's stuff basically like, so I'm, you can just combine two video streams your virtual completely virtual stream and then just have the camera within the you know the virtual scene move the same as the camera that's in the reality. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. And it's blowing my mind. The, yeah and it, we'll do the compositing in real time and everything it's amazing yeah that's, that's pretty cool so um we have a, we have another question from our from our guy eric um matt what what's the hardest part about putting testing benchmarks together for post-production oh man the hardest thing is that these applications aren't made to be benchmarked <laughs> that's, that's probably the hardest thing like there's the figuring out what we need to test is oftentimes like a big deal because we need to make sure that what we're testing is like is useful to people because uh, sure. a lot of times, like something that's super easy to test is not something that anyone cares about. Uh, yeah. So a good example of that is like in Lightroom, um, you know, photography stuff. Testing exporting is super easy because, like, well, we can just start a timer. We can click export, and like it just starts a timer until it's done. But that thing isn't nearly as important to most people as like the lagginess of the program when they're using mm-hmm. it. Like, how long does it take Ooh. like to switch between different areas in the application? Um, so it's figuring out how to do those tests that yeah. is probably the most difficult because, like, all of these applications are made for people to use, to, like, be interacting with a keyboard and mouse or a tablet or whatever, and there's nothing really built into it to make it easy for us to test. Oftentimes, like, 
you know, we can't just tell the computer to click this thing and then do that. Like we can, but the problem is especially when we try to make our benchmarks available to the public because d people have different screen resolutions. They might've changed their mm -hmm. workspace. So we can't just tell the mouse to click, like click here, then look here and then do that. Like that doesn't work. So it's, mm -hmm. it's trying to figure out how we can make that all, all of that work together. And luckily we have pretty good relationships with a lot of the development or the, a lot of the dev teams like uh, at Adobe, you know, we've talked with the After Effects team, the Premiere team, Lightroom team, Photoshop team, and um, sometimes they've been able to tell us, like, oh, there, well, there's this undocumented feature in the API that you can use. Because, I mean, they do a lot of this kind of testing themselves internally because they need to figure out if their code changes are making an improvement or making things worse. Right. And so sometimes it's just an undocumented um, thing in the API. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, that doesn't exist, but we can add it to our to-do list. And then eventually it'll get added in and then we can make our stuff better. How so how do they so like you say we have pretty good relationships with uh with some of these software developers at least now how do they test this stuff internally because you'll, you'll they'll put out an update and they'll say oh we've improved whatever mm -hmm. thing how do they know that I they've improved it sometimes or they just well sometimes it, it's actually built into the API like uh, Premiere Pro they have a huge a whole separate like branch of their API. Um, so, like, when I create a plugin, we're using their API, and um, it's called the the QE. Uh, I'm not even sure what that QE stands for. Probably like quality, quality insurance, engineering, quality. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> they've never defined it because it's like yeah. it's not something that's documented. But we have to use it ourselves because that's the only way that you can like start playback on a timeline automatically or get like the actual FPS of like okay, so you play through this whole sequence. You know, how many frames did you drop? The only way to get that is through this QE branch of their API. So some of it, okay. I think, is just like undocumented features. Um, so other kinda parts, like, kind of like the the dev console. You hit yeah. the tilde, and it's like secret codes yeah. in the background. Pretty much. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they're like okay. semi-secret codes because people have figured it out, um, and huh. yeah, you can make them work. Um, but beyond that, like, I mean, they're making their own program, so they can, you know, they're dealing with the source. So some of those sure. things, I'm sure, they just like put in comments that there's like output to a console and it's just like, okay, do this and then output to the console. Like I when they mean. have full control, it's really easy for them. And so yeah. our, our uh, what we try to do a lot of times is try to get them to put those things into the official API, whether it be a documented or an undocumented feature that we can use because then we can test those things. Sure. And they're sure. very receptive to that kind of thing, like more so than I feared at first because I mean, they've got, you know, how many thousands of bug reports to sift through and new features that they've got to get in to keep the shareholders happy, to keep, you know, improving things. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, them taking the time to put in these features that are, like, really only directly useful to us. Uh, but then, you know, like, we can turn around then and help, you know, so many other people. And they actually yeah. realize that, like, okay, yeah, helping us, you know, do these benchmarking is good because then um, even for like Adobe or any of the other software developers, they can use it as a, a kind of a proof point. When someone says like, oh, Premiere Pro's performance is terrible. It always gets worse. And then they'd be like, well, you have totally the wrong system. Like you're, you're doing the like wrong everything. Like you went and bought a quad Xeon. Like, no, that's going to be awful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That, that actually brings up an interesting question too. Um, so despite all the information that we put out there and and we've become we're we're like right on the cusp of being almost like a household name in this sort of thing um what recently in particular what would you say has been the um 
I guess, big, biggest mistake that you've seen people making when building their own systems, or even or even when configuring them through through us um, for video editing in particular? For video editing? Yeah. Um, I think people have started to get it pretty well recently. Where like, like I, I'm thinking like I'm on a whole bunch of the editing subreddits, mostly yeah. lurking. Sometimes I contribute. Um, but I'm usually browsing at like 1 a.m. So it's like, ah, oh, okay, these th threads have all been closed. Or not closed, but no longer valid. Um, probably the most common for video editing in particular is people going to AMD fanboy. <laughs> it's probably the best way to define it. <laughs> Be because like AMD is super awesome on their processors right now, but their mm -hmm. video cards are not, they're just like not right for most video editing programs. Like, yeah. they do okay, and DaVinci Resolve, about on par with NVIDIA. But, like, anything Adobe, like, no, you want to go NVIDIA. Like, it's significantly faster, even at the same price points. Like, NVIDIA can go way higher in terms of price, but, like, if you're looking at a $200 video card, you're going to get better performance out of NVIDIA than AMD today. And so I think it's just those people who, they love AMD, so they're just going to go team red on everything. It's like, well, uh, great. Yeah, it's great that you're supporting AMD, but just understand that you're giving up some performance here by not picking the bits and pieces that are going to give you the best performance rather than going all in with just one team. Hmm. Huh. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I was, I was kind of, I've been thinking too, I'm hoping AMD kind of comes back and, and is able to take a bit of a bite from AM or N NVIDIA yeah. as they have with Intel. It'd be nice to, well, some of fingers it, crossed, you yeah, know? some of it's just like their priorities are a little bit different. It feels like to me. So like they had, this is starting to get a little nerdy, but AMD had their Vega uh, cards, the Vega 56 and Vega 64. And those yeah. ones were pretty darn good for, for like video editing in like Adobe. Like they're pretty on par with NVIDIA. Um, and then they released their new line. I forget what the whole line is called, but like the 5700 XT, uh, no, those yeah. cards. And they aren't as good. Like they're slower than the previous generation in like Premiere Pro or Photoshop. Um, but they're better in gaming than the previous. So like their focus on a lot of like the Radeon products right now is more towards the gaming side, consumer side, rather than the prosumer or professional editing kind of those kind of fields. So some of it's just priorities. It's the same reason why like Intel might spend a lot of money on, you know, there's dual Z online because like they, those get used in servers. Sure. But that doesn't mean that like Intel is making wrong decisions. It's just they're prioritizing different markets. Yeah. All right. So Kelly, I, I want to kind of tag on something um, or I guess pivot off of Matt said mm -hmm. that we, we've gotten, we've developed some pretty good relationships with, um, at least with Adobe, it seems we're mm -hmm. kind of buddy buddy now. Have since you've started this uh, this journey, have you gotten a good response from? Um, it's mostly Autodesk. Oh, uh, it's right Autodesk. Yeah. Autodesk is behind 3ds. Yeah. yeah, I was blanked for a I, moment. Have have they communicated with you, or have you reached? I out haven't to them gotten at all? any responses from them yet. Um, I'm still in the the phase of trying to find the right person. Yeah, ah, okay. to get in touch thing. with. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of those things that um, when you're we're first starting out with building this relationship with these uh, software developers, mm -hmm. that they're kind of like, well, who are these guys? Why do we like we're getting, you know, program requests from thousands and thousands of people? Why do we want to listen to these guys more than anyone else? Like, um, but as we kind of show our our expertise and what we're doing, then they start to warm up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that Adobe was like that at first. Oh, um, yes. 
and then now well i've i've heard even that you're like you have good inroads with like certain applications but not all of adobe and stuff like that um so that's kind of where we are with autodesk right now is just like trying to build that relationship posting to their forums asking on their developer network all that kind of stuff just trying to find who to talk to yeah i think the hard thing is that most of the people that are more public facing or like that manage a lot of these relationships between companies are on like the marketing side and it's hard for them mm -hmm. to see the value because they're always looking at like okay well we need to make more license sales or we need to do more of this or public relations and it's hard for them to see the value that we're going to be adding especially when it's something like well we want your help now and in like a year or two you know we'll mm -hmm. be able to have these things you know flesh out and really be helping um so yeah. I, I found that like with Adobe, it's like we had great relationships on like the marketing side, but they are very hesitant to like put us in direct contact with the teams. And that's because they're trying to protect their own, you know, their teams. Yeah. Like they can't just like throw all of these random people at the team, at the dev teams when the devs are trying to focus on, you know, improving their you know little corner of you know, the Adobe ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so we found that basically we need to, create fans within those teams first and then they reach out to us and then we have those inroads um like myself uh, probably one of the best relationships i have is well actually there's quite a few good ones but after effects team was one of the first ones that we really like nailed and that was because a couple of the developers like saw what we were doing they were really excited about it and they reached out to us and then wow. now like when we go to um not user groups so much, but like Adobe Max, and we go to right. events and stuff. You know, we get really good meetings with them one on one. We get to like talk to them, and like we get to you know share ideas and things. And wow. and so like it really starts to evolve, but it takes a long time. Like we've been an Adobe partner for six, seven, eight years or something like that, and it's only yeah. in the last maybe one and a half or two years that it's really um, that side of the relationship has taken off. That's cool. Are you are you prepared mentally for that kind of a thing, Kelly? You're going to be having <laughs> big, big wig talks with people behind uh, at uh, you know Unreal and Autodesk and stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm not worried about that because I used to do that with Microsoft all the time. So oh, cool. And I'm oftentimes not... it's like the individual developers, and they're they're very similar to yeah. us. Like they're super nerds. Like yeah. they love what they're doing, and like it's it's you're able to have really good conversations with them. And you know sometimes yeah. they let slide some information there's some slides that's always you know, great parts too <laughs> but and, but then like working with a lot of the product like leads or things like that like as long as they're coming to you they're excited and so it's yeah. it's it's fairly natural kind of conversations that's cool and what about the hardware side like if we if we were telling i i recall a certain time when uh Actually, maybe I, I always hesitate. I always hesitate to say anything because I don't know what I should and shouldn't say sometimes. <laughs> but I understand that um, certain certain teams may not want us to say certain things about certain products. Mm -hmm. Let me put it that mm -hmm. way. And um, I, I, I suppose a good example would be like, do, does AMD get upset when we say NVIDIA is the better option? You, you know, know, that kind of a thing? A lot less than I think people think. Um, mm. It's actually been pretty amazing how all of them, Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, uh, Samsung, I mean, any of them are very honest with themselves. I, I don't know if that's just like the people we're talking to, like our reps, and may maybe it's different at the higher up levels. Uh, mm -hmm. But like the people that we work with, 
they are super understanding um or not even understanding like they they know um oftentimes like um i'm gonna make something up just so like there's not a real thing but like yeah, yeah if we ran a benchmark on application x and we found that thread was awful um usually amd would say something like oh that's interesting and either they would then go to the software developer and be like why is this and like work with the software developer to figure out like how can we improve things so that it's not bad or mm-hmm. they would come with it and be like oh that's interesting but that's not really our focus and so that that's okay that, oh. that's fine because we care about like thread is all about high core count so that's natural that it doesn't work on a very lightly threaded application like x because we care about applications like y like we have oh, risen cool. for those those kind of applications so in general it's pretty good um i i can't think of too many times where we've had major issues between anything uh the biggest kind of i guess um like rub that we get sometimes is when we are looking at both their consumer lines and their like enterprise lines within mm. a single article because it's and i understand why like uh, i'm gonna make up another one here uh geoforce and quadro like right. because you look at it in terms of like just straight performance and quadro is like three or four times more expensive for the exact same performance. But that's because performance is not the only reason to do Quadro. And when right, people right. come into an article and just look at a chart and they see that, they just like, like people don't like to read words. People just look at pretty pictures. <laughs> that's true. Um, and so they miss that part where we say they're like, okay, well, here's the performance. But remember also, you're getting more VRAM, you're getting higher reliability with Quadro, you're getting you know, XYZ right. and all that kind of jazz. And yeah. so I, I totally understand why. And that's why if anyone like looks through our articles, oftentimes we separate out like consumer class stuff mm-hmm. and then workstation or enterprise class stuff, even though we're using the exact same tests, doing the exact same things. And sometimes we'll um, include like a crossover kind of part between the two articles. So again, sure. I'm just using GeForce and Quadro. Like we'll put the Titan line in both of them because the Titan is kind of in between products. Oh, yeah. And so that way it just helps people to be able to like, okay, if you really only care about performance, you can look at these two. But really like we already know that like if performance is what you care about, you're going to go with this line, not that line. So mm-hmm. it's more for the people that are wanting a Quadro card. They look at that post more, right. and like they might look at the other one just to kind of see how much they are giving up. Because I mean, sometimes it's cheaper to get two computers with GeForce than <laughs> one computer with a Quadro. And like if it fails, you just throw that whole computer out. Wow. Um, <laughs> so uh, sometimes it, it doesn't make sense, but that's why we have to kind of do those kind of things sometimes. I see. All right. Uh, let's see, Kelly. Um, again, kind of curious about your your journey into this benchmark creation process. Um, a couple, a couple, maybe a two parter, really. Um, but I suppose to start, what's what's been the most surprising uh, thing that you've like encountered so far in uh, in in making this thing? The most surprising thing? Yeah. Um, How much time it takes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, it's a software writing thing, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, um, in Max specifically, the most surprising thing was um, how easy the Max Max has its own scripting language. Oh. And um, how easy that was to get going. Um, basically, I was able to create the entire benchmark runs within Max, essentially. Okay. Um, I have to then create my own, my own automations to install and then like oh. launch Max and run it. But once it's running, everything is contained within Max's own scripting language. And I, as an artist in the industry, I knew about that Max and Maya have their own scripting languages, but you don't really have much need to go into it 
um, especially at a studio, you have tech artists that will create tools that that give to you and stuff. Um, so I never really thought about it. But then once I like started getting into it, it was super easy to to learn. Um, kind of wish I had learned more of it while I was an artist and could have done a lot of really cool stuff with it. Yeah, because there's so many powerful <laughs> things. Like I, I know I, myself, like I, I do some work with Photoshop, just like make like the summary images in our articles and other stuff like that. But like I'm sure someone who's a real graphic design artist looks at it like that's awful. But right. um, <laughs> I, I've learned like. You know, some of the things I do, because we're going to launch like a dozen articles that are basically the same thing, just on different applications. So I've even created like a whole bunch of layers in Photoshop that are just like each of these applications we're doing. And I just made a script that just turns it off, exports to a JPEG, turns the next layer on, exports to JPEG. And like, that's not that easy to do manually. Like it takes so long and it's so tedious. Yeah. Like it's like three lines of code and a, you know, Photoshop, you know, extend script. And like those kind of things, I feel like if I was to turn my like what I want to do as a job to be a you know graphic design artist, which again I do terrible at. But if I did want to do that, I feel like I would have so much a stronger um, base by being able to create all these little scripts mm-hmm. and plugins because like I'm all about automation. I am yeah. constantly trying to automate myself out of a job, and by doing so, <laughs> I just get to take on more and more things. Uh, but like so, that's the way I just operate. I operate as trying mm-hmm. to make the computer do as much work for me as possible. And sometimes that means I'm going to spend, you know, two days making some script work that like I could have just done manually in half an hour. But and then <laughs> other times it means that like I get to like like now, like running our benchmarks, we have a little benchmark daemon thing that like just runs over the network and you just say, I want all of these systems to run these ten benchmarks and it just slacks me the results. And so that's like so that cool. that's so much time it saves me. So yeah. it, it's sometimes it is worth it, sometimes it's not. Now we just need to get some little like robot Waldo arms to be able to swap hardware for you, and you'd never have to come into the office ever. Now, see, we're taking the other approach. We're just buying more, more and more hardware, more and more platforms, so that we just don't <laughs> never have to swap anything. Every company, yeah. tons of be- test just, benches. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's kind of funny, but like, it's almost worth it. I mean, for us to do that. I mean, we're we're on the track to do that for every CPU we sell. Um, wow. Video cards is harder. Because I mean, once you add in video cards, now you have every CPU and video card combination. Oh. Like it's it's you know exponential yeah. or like, I was going to say literally exponential geometric at that point, yeah. isn't it? What are those things? <laughs> I don't know. What are those? But I mean, uh. there's so many cool things we can do once we have that. Like I mean, right now most of our test platforms are just for us in labs, where we're doing these very mm-hmm. controlled benchmarks. But one of our goals is actually to make our benchmarks a lot more customizable, so mm-hmm. a customer can send us a project and say. Well, this is the work I do. Like your benchmarks are great, but like I don't use that codec, or I, I use these effects a lot. And so they can send us a project, and then we can use that same like benchmark automation to send it out to all of these platforms. That's every CPU we sell. And then like an hour later, we get benchmark result back that's saying, okay, with this customer's project using their media and their like everything, here's the performance which every CPU we sell. And then we can oh, turn around and take wow. that to the customer and say, okay, well your budget was this. Here's a system that falls within that budget, but hey, you could get only, you, you could get 20% higher performance if you can increase your budget by $400. Or sometimes it's, well, hey, you can only lose like a percent performance and we can save you $2,000. Like, That's let's awesome. go that way. And then you can, oftentimes they just buy more storage or something like that, but whatever. Like then, or they can get a better monitor that they can finally upgrade their monitor that's from the you know early 2000s. Or whatever. So like, there's so many cool things we can do as we're working on this automation. It's, it, mm-hmm. You can tell I'm super it's, excited about yeah, it. I love, it's I love very that. Stuff. Exciting! It sounds <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, Kelly, I was my... also. 
Oh, go ahead. So I built the 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 three Studio Max benchmark to. It could essentially use any file, like any um, three Studio Max scene. So if a customer is like, "This is what I'm working with," I can just plug that into my benchmark, and it'll still work. And yeah, so then cool. be able to put that to all the, every test bed we have, and be like, "All right, for the scene you're working on, this is system you should buy." Yeah, because it, it changes. I, I mean, I guess three mm-hmm. S Max is probably one of the ones where it'll change the least because a lot of that stuff is pretty single threaded. But like, when, especially when you get into like Maya and simulation yeah. stuff, um, and Unity as the simulations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, the more we can do that kind of stuff, like that, mm-hmm. that's just value for everyone, and that's even something that we've considered offering as a service at some point in the future. Like, you're not a customer of ours, but hey, we can do all this testing for you. And then you can use that to, you know, I mean, we're kind of starting to offer that now, but like that level where like, it's just benchmark data for you. Yeah. Here you go. We'll see how that goes. That'll be cool. I was curious too, Kelly. So you, you mentioned you've had some, you have some uh, professional experience in the mm-hmm. tools that you're writing this benchmark for. So um, that, that gives you an idea of like the actual workflow. And so I'm curious to know what it is exactly that, I suppose in the past that you've had pain points with and, and is that affecting the, the tool that you're building? Like, like what is it that you're going to be testing and, and why is that important? I guess. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, well, for me, the, the biggest issue that I had when I was did this professionally was um, the viewport performance, which yeah. is the thing that you never see in a benchmark. There was any so 3d program benchmark. Yeah. I, it's really, really annoying. Because, so what does that mean exactly? The viewport, and, so and like your frames per second, thing? yeah, that- like how fast the viewport's refreshing because that, att- that affects your frames per second. Um, and then also like if you're trying to move something around within the scene, it'll mm-hmm. kind of lag and be slow and all that kind of stuff because you're overworking the GPU essentially. Okay. Um, so that was the, the part I came in knowing like this is a main component of, of this test. Mm-hmm. Um, and then simulations. Um, Is that like smoke and explosions yeah. and fluid dynamics and things? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So that kind of stuff. Um, I put in some rendering into my benchmark, just the default renderer, Arnold, that Max has, um, just because. But that's mostly going to be covered by other benchmarks. Okay. Um, yeah, did that answer your question <laughs> i think so i think so yeah so that was the main the main thing you're going to be is that going to be the major component then of of this benchmark will be the the viewport uh performance yeah because that one's that one's very difficult to to measure because if something like the menu doesn't pop up for half a second it's really hard to measure but when you're a user doing that over and over and over it gets super annoying that everything's not coming up quickly and so figuring out a way to kind of replicate that in a way that could be then measured, that mm-hmm. was that was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's kind of universal. I, I feel like yeah, the biggest thing that people care about is anything that they are directly interacting with. So like, yeah, their display, their lag, when you move things around. Uh, for me, a lot of the ones is like sliders, like adjustment sliders in the Lightroom. Um, yeah. So anything that people directly interact, I think is the number one thing that people care about. Number two is anything where they have to like start it and then wait. Like they have, they can't do anything mm-hmm. while something's running. So mm-hmm. that would be a lot, like you're saying, like a lot of simulation stuff because you're running it in 
max and like you can't work on your models while simulations are going um or for me it might be like uh generating previews of like a video um because you got to kind of wait um and then i'd say like the lowest priority is unfortunately the easiest things to test and it's like (laughs) when you're done and you're like exporting or you're uh saving or you're um rendering in in your case like it's the kind Mm -hmm. of things that people know it's going to take a long time and like yes they value it being faster on a you know new system but they are so used to like well i just do that overnight like i leave and i go home right so i start the render or if it's something a little bit shorter they do it like on their lunch break and so they've Mm -hmm. they've already got like their workflow set up around knowing that that's going to take a while so again like if it can be faster that's great but it's not nearly as important as the things that actually halt their creative process while they're actually actively working on something. That's right. cool. And we're going to get a lot into that um, with Unreal and Unity. Mm-hmm. Um, people look at them as game engines, so they look at like other game benchmarks to be like, well, these are the results they're getting. But that doesn't... Those game benchmarks represent a finalized game product. Mm-hmm. not the development process to get to that point. Yeah. So there's like um shader building and um you know building your lighting and all this other stuff that happens up until that point that has a huge impact on your workflow that doesn't have a benchmark uh, attached to it. So we're going to have to get in a lot of that kind of stuff to be like how well does it perform while you're trying to make a game not how well does a finished, polished game run? Yeah, because obviously really, that's going to work good. <laughs> yeah, Puget is going to have to actually produce a video game in order to know how well we can make video game Kinda. making PCs. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the hard thing when when I was working with Unreal and Unity years ago was, yeah, you need stuff that's large enough and complex enough to actually take a long time to do these things. Like mm-hmm. I could create a scene, but like if it only takes it two seconds to bake the lighting, like that's not really a great benchmark because like being able to measure the difference between two seconds and 1.9 seconds is really, really difficult. So you want something that's going to take at least like two, three minutes for some of those kind of things. So that then you can measure those small nuanced differences between hardware. Um, And yeah, finding like, yeah, we either have to create our own game and make it super complex, or Mm -hmm. we have to find, someone out there who has created their own game and is willing to give us the files and sometimes right. you can get that through like tutorials um like a lot of my tests are based almost entirely on tutorials because like yeah. for after effects i'm not a motion graphics artist i can follow a tutorial um right. and you know get it going good and you know cause that way i know it's real realistic uh, but still difficult uh but something like a game engine because people like put in so much time and effort on these things yeah. years and years and to be willing to just turn around and be like oh yeah here you go here's all the source is really hard uh to but, get people to do yeah that does bring up that that interesting question so like kelly is is that do you are you at a point where you know that you're gonna have to do it from scratch or do you do you know that you could talk with somebody um to get um i would like like selfishly to do a lot of that stuff from scratch but that's like the worst way to do it because it's gonna take forever like i can make all the assets for a game and i would love doing it but that's spending months of doing something that doesn't really need to be done well kind Um, of i mean the difficult thing though is that especially when we make our benchmarks available to the public 
mm-hmm. there's even more strings attached with all this stuff. That, that's why, mm-hmm. like, all of our video benchmarks use footage that we either shot ourselves or got someone to shoot for us, specifically for us, because um, we now know that we don't have to worry about copyright. We don't mm-hmm. have to worry about, you know, like, issues with who owns what. Like, we just don't care. Like, it's, it's ours. Here. Yeah. Right. We can have it. And so, like, creating an entire game, it might be the only way we can yeah. do some of this stuff. Now, there are cool. some things like... like um, asset stores and stuff. Yeah, you just yeah. start dropping thousands of dollars on crazy assets and stuff. Which we could okay, do right? internally. Like, that might be the way to, that we would want to do it if it was just an internal-only benchmark. But if we're going to give oh, this good to people in the public to run, and it contains all those assets, like, we can't share those with people. Um, there are, at least, like, Unity and Unreal have uh, tech demos that usually they have the full source to that you can download. I think we have we would have a lot more leeway using those kind of things. But oftentimes like they're a tech demo. Like it's it's designed to show off one very specific part of the engine which might be good for a game uh, benchmark. But like we can't download this tech demo that's supposed to show how good it is visually and then use that to test you know other things, baking lighting or some other parts of the engine. So we, it's, it can be difficult sometimes. Well, then we have to deal with things like the um, if we want to recreate uh, what the guy was talking about was shooting on against a green screen and stuff. Yeah. Like, do we need to have the test beds connected to a camera to run that test properly? Like, how is that all going to work? Or can you fake it somehow? Yeah, like, or can we fake it? Can we just have a video input coming in? Like, how are we going to do that? And that's one that like. That would be a really hard one to send to a, a public um, a public benchmark if they don't have a camera connected <laughs> well, or a giant green screen same. to point it at. Like, and like their setup on the green screen is going to be different. And yeah. So like we we have to find ways to creatively fake what the application is doing in the real world. I mean, yeah. And that's constantly like any of like the viewport stuff you were talking about before. Like we can't sit there and click between things. Like, I've actually done that a few times for, like, very short-term tests. Like, okay, um, we want to look at this one thing this one time, and then we're not going to worry about it again later. And sometimes I'll just do a screen recording and, you know, do a couple of things. Then I can go back afterwards and count how many frames it took, you know, between clicking this thing when, like, the, you know, the, the screen changed. And, like, uh-huh. that's fine for doing a one, you know, onesie, twosies kind of thing. But if we're trying to benchmark dozens of platforms, you know, Every time there's a yep. new software update or new hardware or drivers, that's just not feasible. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, eventually, like, I'll be doing Max, Maya, Cinema 4D, Unreal, Unity, probably some others. So, like, if I had to do that for each of those platforms or each of those programs on each platform, like, I'd spend weeks just trying to, yeah. like, update because some minor change to a video card or something. Yeah, like, yeah you wouldn't be able it. to finish all of your testing before it was outdated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, it's just not e- even just like financially feasible for us yeah. as a company. Like you'd be paying someone to just spin their wheels constantly. Yeah. We need to have ways that we can have it automated so that we can push it out to a whole bunch of different stuff. Either that or we have to get like interns that don't, you know, aren't paid. Yeah. Aren't paid interns. High school students. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's, uh, actually, Kelly, I know you kind of bumped into a bit of an issue with uh, an update in the middle of your uh, creation. Oh, yes. And um, so did that really derail things a, a whole lot? Or um, 
and and I guess Matt, uh, in a similar way, like how do you decide when to update the benchmark? So uh, Kelly first. So yeah, I created all my test files in 3ds Max 2020, and then as I was just about done, 3ds Max upgraded to 2021. Um, <laughs> Which why is it 2021? It's still only 2020. Why are the version numbers? <laughs> well, and especially since Maya 2020 came out like three months ago, but Max 2021 <laughs> just updated. I don't know. The Autodesk is weird. Um, They're in the future. Yeah. So what I did when that happened was looked at what the new features are in 2020 to see if, like, if it was just some ad added tech or if they also improved stuff. Like what, what was the difference? Mm -hmm. So they had like improved loading and saving times. They improved this other stuff that directly affected my benchmark already. So I was like, well, I might as well update now since I'm not done anyways. Like if I had already ran the tests, then maybe I wouldn't have. But um, I was like, well, I haven't gotten benchmark results yet. So it's just safer to start up. It only took me another week or two um, to update everything. Okay. Um, so it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it, it's a hard one. I mean, because we have to deal with not only the software updates, but like there's constantly new drivers. There's constantly new mm -hmm. motherboard BIOSes. There's constantly Windows updates. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we just kind of, you just kind of have to make an arbitrary line. Um, like uh, most of my articles when I put out uh, testing, I have in like the test specs uh, section, just like it's it's just all of the latest drivers and everything as of this date. Sure. Um, okay. And that's just when we decided, okay, we're just going to update everything and then we're just going to go. And like, sure, if Adobe mm -hmm. launches a new version of Premiere, who cares? We'll deal with that later. Uh, maybe as a separate article or something like that or video drivers, who cares? We're just going to deal with it later. Because if you're constantly trying to stay on the latest of everything, again, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. You're constantly going to be just restarting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes like, yeah, there is a major update but we're like 90% done with our testing. And in those cases, what I would do is go ahead and finish the testing on that old version. And then maybe like put out a separate article where we look at the new version just with like spot checks. So like mm. we'll, we'll look at like three or four configurations and see like, was it any different? And if it was, well, hey, we can kind of extrapolate because we've tested an Intel system, an AMD system. We've tested like one of each architecture and we can use that to be like, well, okay, well, they all about saw a 5% performance gain, so don't worry about it. Like, yes, the raw number in seconds or FPS might not be accurate, but the relative performance, which usually is what people care right. about, is going to be accurate. Or we'll see something like, oh, Ryzen, for some reason, is now 20% faster. Okay, we need to really oh. look at this. And in which case, like, I don't mind doing that extra testing because it's a really cool, interesting thing that people are going to be interested in reading and, and, and figuring out. So yeah. in those cases, it's great. It's just good testing for us to do. So Kelly, I'm curious. This just kind of popped in my head too. I'm curious. Um, during during the creation of this benchmark, are you? I mean, there's testing, right? You you hit the go mm -hmm. button, make sure it works and stuff. Are you trying it out on different configurations, or is it the same one uh, every time? Um, right now, I'm just using my home computer to develop everything. Get it working on. first. <laughs> yeah. Well, because well, um, then I was going to ask. I wonder then. Um, what what components do you think will have the biggest effect on what you're testing? Um, that's a good question. I'm assuming that um, so 
already can tell just because watching hardware monitors and stuff like that what um how a, a certain task is using the cpu if it's going single threaded or multi-threaded okay. and it can already just by that information extrapolate how that cpu is gonna like how that process is gonna use different cpus like it's pretty okay. if it's a, like a um simulations for example depending on what simulation you're running it uses either single threaded or is multi-threaded so we sure. can see okay if you're using this type of simulation you're going to want a high cpu count or yeah, you're gonna but want that's the, hard though like single thread yeah. yeah i'd believe that but multi-thread like i've seen so much where like it's pegging all my cpu cores at a you know 100 percent, but mm -hmm. it's still like a an intel cpu is going to be faster yeah. than an AMD with higher core counts because architecture comes into place so much, especially yeah. when you get into like, oh, this is actually using AVX. I didn't know that. And that's oh, better yeah. on this CPU than another, or it's using yeah. this other technology. It, it can be difficult to tell. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. It oh, gives you a yeah. like baseline with where you want to start your testing. Yeah, that's cool. Man, that, that's got to be pretty fascinating to see, too, the effect. Because I'm... Um, you know, I, I imagine like still at, at kind of this new point, like you were saying, you're not really sure how different components are being used. And so how, I don't know, to me, that's really cool to kind of, to be a part of that like learning process and know that like, oh, hey, this thing that always gave me trouble is super affected by the GPU. And if I had just had a better graphics card, man, I would have made everything so much simpler. Mm -hmm. um, or, or to find, you know, like, you know, an AVX, um, oh, I'm I'm getting way past my own knowledge base here, but I know I know there's different versions of the AV AVX stuff, and like, oh, maybe this one is different from this other one, and uh, wow, that's just really cool to kind of, it's almost, it's almost like you're peeking into the black box mm -hmm. a little bit, or mm -hmm. or kind of making those inferences just based off of the performance data. That's yeah. really really cool. It'll well, be oh, some I'm of it, excited. Some of it's really cool to see um, to show that how the common or the, the like common knowledge that everyone knows when it's wrong um, yeah. like we've seen that a lot where like um, I'm going to pick on Nvidia again like GeForce and Quadro like there are applications when we started doing this testing that said like you have to use a Quadro like you have to it is going to be so much faster than a GeForce like it doesn't matter you have to go Quadro and then we get into the testing and it's like well no that's not right at all and then you really dig into it and it's because, oh, because of this documentation from 20 years ago when <laughs> Quadros were completely different. Like, they were a completely different architecture than GeForce. So, like, back right. then, yes, it, it did make sense. But it's changed since then. But no one has taken the time to challenge it. Yeah. And um, a lot of those things we almost kind of stumble on just because we are testing everything. Like, we are testing all of these different platforms versus if it, this was someone who was a... I don't know, an, an AutoCAD blogger and like all he does is like engineering blogs, they're only ever going to be testing with the hardware that they know works. Um, yeah, right. So they're only going to be looking at Quattro's um, you know, in this hypothetical situation here. Um, so us coming in and just being like, now nah, we're going to throw all of that out the window. We're just going to do everything. Like yeah. we, we find all of these little things that was true at some point and now just everybody online is parodying it. And we right. come in and, no, that's wrong. And then we have to convince them and all that. Eventually, Yeah, when I was doing my initial research, um, before I started building the benchmark, I found a lot of forum posts asking for, like, what video card's best for 3 Max or Maya or whatever. And a lot of people still say Quadro mm -hmm. is, like, you have to have a Quadro because that's what is 
it's the only thing certified for it. But if you go to Autodesk's website, they all say support, you know, GeForce, 10 series, 9 series. Like, huh. it's been several years that they've officually supported GeForce and all their stuff. But there's still that this no old school mentality of like, yeah, they don't publicize <laughs> yeah. it because of why? Like, there's no, yeah. they don't care. Yeah. Um, but the community still has this ingrained thing of no, it needs to be Quadro. That's weird. And it doesn't. Has uh, so this one might be a little bit more for Matt. Um, has there been any, uh, let's say, tension where a software developer will recommend a particular hardware officially, but we come out and say, "Well, no, this is actually better." Oh yeah. And and does that cause problem, or or is it more a little bit more just like? Yeah, uh, that, um, that happens mostly with video cards, and um, it was it kind of comes back to that whole workstation versus consumer. So mm. uh, the days it was like Fire Pro or Radeon, now it's Radeon Pro and Radeon, or GeForce and Quadro. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, was all, it was super common for like all of these uh, ISVs, these software developers, whether it's Adobe or Autodesk, Blackmagic, to just say Quadro. That's all we certify, and that's all we qualify as Quadro, because Quadro is for workstations, and we're a professional application. And um, we were kind of um, on the forefront of like a lot of these things becoming more like mainstream. Cause like at a, at a certain point, like Photoshop was only for like professionals. And now like sure. everyone and their grandma uses Photoshop, it seems like sometimes. Right. And, or video editing, like everyone's, you know, there's all these people editing home movies or, you know, churches and schools. And so it's become a lot more of the masses. And we were kind of on the forefront of that where we had a lot of customers who we're doing this not in that super high level professional uh, kind of level of thing. So they couldn't afford a $10,000 workstation, you know, where half of it was a quadro card. And so mm -hmm. we were having to do all this test and we're like, well, GeForce works just fine. Like, yeah, maybe Adobe or Autodesk hasn't certified it, but we know it works. We've done our own certification. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times it wasn't the, um, the, the software developers so much because like they didn't really care because they just, Basically, if a customer had a problem, they would say, like, well, well that card's not certified. It's your problem. So they would just pawn it off. They would point the finger back at us. But so we mostly had to convince our own customers that, like, no, it's okay. We've done all this testing. We know it's fine. We know it's not on their official certification list, but we know it's good. Um, and that's just gotten better over time because all of these software developers have realized that they can't just qualify these $5,000 video cards anymore because mm -hmm. their software is being used by so many more people that can't afford that like they they either have to qualify it themselves and know that it works or figure out those problems or not qualify it and then have to still deal with those thousands or millions of people who are using unqualified products and still have to <laughs> you know support them so i think they've come around to realizing that they can't just qualify the products that they would like to see people use they have to also qualify the products that people are actually going to use mm -hmm. in reality um, because yeah. they have to figure out those problems or else they just it's just kicking the the ball down the road yeah. and down the road whatever the idiom is all right so all right i think we're we've got a few more minutes left and um i i kind of like this last question that kind of popped up into the chat um so can you talk about nvenc encoding support in the premiere beta and uh what can we expect and what video cards uh, we should use etc yeah we have a we have an article on that um, so yeah, if you go to our site, we, under publications articles, one of the recent ones was one on Premiere Pro, the beta, and it's really good. It's, it's super good. Uh, for those that aren't 
kind of a, a quick like 10 second background on this is um, Premiere Pro and After Effects, they um, have used Intel QuickSync, which is built onto some video or some CPUs uh, to accelerate H.264 and HEVC, these specific codecs that are really hard to process because they're made to be watched and filmed and not to be edited. And so they use a QuickSync to make that faster. It's the same reason why like your phone can play some of these video files that are really hard to process because it has a dedicated chip for it. And so they're oh. using QuickSync to to process those things in like Premiere Pro. And now they're adding support for uh, GPU. So no longer just on your CPU, now it's being done on GPU, both Nvidia and AMD GPUs. And it's amazingly fast. Um, right now it's just for exporting. So when you're actually like exporting your final video, uh, but it's like we saw performance gains of up to like four times. So you'd be exporting four wow. times faster. Uh, whereas QuickSync would be like one and a half to maybe two times faster. And like everybody has a video card in, in their computer if they're doing any sort of professional work. And so like that's a huge speed up. And that's we've only looked at it a little bit because it's still in beta. We don't want to spend sure. a huge amount of time on doing testing that's going to be changed when the release comes because I mean, they're still fixing things in mean, sure. beta. Um, so even like we do only tested really high end CPUs, which are already going to be like among the fastest for exporting. And mm -hmm. those ones seeing a four times speed up is really good news because that means wow. that those people that don't have those high end CPUs, but have a really good video card, which is often the case on like people who game at home, mm -hmm. um, you know, they have a modest CPU and a really good GPU. We should see really good games. Uh, I had a couple of people post in the comments that they saw like a 10 times uh, increase in or decrease in render times. Like that's amazing. Um, yeah. The downside to all of these like hardware based encoding uh, and decoding is that quality is supposed to be a little bit less. Um, and I don't know, like the, the ones that we tested, I couldn't tell a difference. Like I was zooming in to 400 you know, percent and like trying to look at it at the pixel level and like it was different, but I couldn't really say which one was better. Um, oh. it, but I mean, that comes down to a whole bunch of different settings. You could set like bit rate um, was going to affect that. And we were using like the YouTube 4K preset. So like sure. pretty modest on bit rate, but like lower or higher might change things. So like there's still a lot of, of testing to do to find out whether there's going to be any sort of uh, huge quality loss. But so far it's looking super good, especially if That's like cool. you're going to be uploading to YouTube. Like YouTube's already going to, you know, compress, compress the hell out of it. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you want to give it the best starting point, but it's already going to be, you know, compressed. So, like, you having it be 95 to 95, 99% of the quality is good enough for that yeah. kind of thing. Definitely. So. Cool. Well, let's see. Oh, sorry. I got, I got a little distracted in the last <laughs> moment. The boss, the boss messaged me. Um, well, let's. Uh, well, we're right about at the hour mark here. Um, mm -hmm. Do you guys want to have any other? Oh, I did have one more question. Do you think? Um, I didn't. I didn't look real close at the com at the configurations and stuff. But do you think that's going to have? Um, I know Resolve is really good at multi GPU mm -hmm. in in a lot of the stuff. Do you think Adobe is heading in that direction with this? Supposedly, a lot of the uh, patch notes recently from Adobe has been like improved multi GPU support. Uh, but I think that's mostly on things like laptops, where you're yeah. having you have multiple GPUs in your laptop because of like it has your, you know, built-in Intel GPU that it uses normally, and then it switches over to the NVIDIA GPU when you need more power. Sure. I think it's mostly for that. Um, I don't think we're going to be seeing anytime soon where Adobe products 
need multiple GPUs unless you have like really low end GPUs. But like at that point, like why have two really low end GPUs when you can have one GPU that's the same price as those two GPUs? Right. It's simpler. It's faster. The old it, it's it's better. The old NV Link yeah. argument. Yeah. Like, or. Uh... Back when it was whatever it was, I can't remember now anymore. Yeah. So I don't think we're going to see too much of a change in what we recommend. Probably the biggest change is going to be that we have less of a reason to, um, I, I guess, push Intel in some situations because the Intel CPUs that had Quick Sync, like like the 9900K from Intel, is one of our most popular CPUs, like flat out. Sure. And for a lot of times, we've been pushing people to that rather than. A Ryzen CPU that'd be about the same performance and the same price, we push people towards Intel partly because it has quick sync, which helps out on those times where you're dealing with H.264 or HPC uh, yeah. footage. Um, it's also that it has Thunderbolt. And that's a big deal to a lot of people, but that's just one less hurdle for, you know, for why you know we might offer Intel over AMD. Cool. Alright, any, any closing arguments from you guys? You guys want any last little bits? No. No? Uh, well, all right, then I suppose we will say goodbye. Thank you guys very much for taking uh, some time out of your guys' day to, to share some knowledge and answer some questions here today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Right on. And uh, thank you, to, of course, to the audience out there for joining us and asking questions, keeping things moving. And uh, we're doing this uh, every Friday. We're going to have a different mix of uh, guys from our labs team. And we also do, uh, we're also starting up a Wednesday stream. Uh, we're calling it Workflow Wednesdays, where we bring in industry experts to kind of talk about the whatever industry they're experts in, uh, how things are going in that space, and again, kind of answer questions and chat and share knowledge with with you folk and everybody else so uh, thanks again and we'll see you guys next week bye see ya